Well, I'm going to talk to you about a place called heaven today. The name of the series is What's Up With Heaven? And we're going to be looking at it the next few weeks. Really, really good stuff. Next week, don't miss it, because I am going to be talking about the minute you die, the moment you die. And I'm going to clear up a lot of confusion. Uh, people continue to be confused about that for some reason. I'm going to talk about it. What happens the moment you die? That's next week. Today, a place called heaven. It's only one verse, so let's read it together. And I want you to notice what, what was the first thing that came out of Jesus' mouth when Jesus began to preach. Let's read it out loud together, can we? From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why was heaven at hand? Because he was at hand. He was there. And Jesus is the gateway to heaven. Father, we thank you today for your blessing. We pray that you will illuminate us, teach us, renew our minds, help us to understand heaven. Help us to have a grasp on it that we've never had before. And Lord, I pray that it will build our hope and build our faith and build our excitement level. And Lord, I pray for those who might be here or watching by streaming video or listening on radio later, who are not your child, who have not been born again, who are not at this moment heaven-bound, that you by your mercy and grace will reach out and by amazing grace draw them, woo them, call them, convict them, and lead them to the foot of the cross and to the salvation that only Jesus can bring. And we thank you for it in your mighty name. Amen. Tell your neighbor, perk up and listen, this is going to be a heavenly message. <laughs> well, we've had two great services, and I'm so glad to see all of you here at high noon. I want you to notice, like I said a minute ago, that the first thing Jesus had on his mind was two things. Repent so you can get into heaven. Jesus talked about heaven. In the first sentence, the first words that came out of his mouth, he was talking about heaven. And if you were to get out a strong concordance or just go through your Bible, it would take you a while, but you would find hundreds of mentions of heaven, the place called heaven. It's not an idea. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not something out of Brothers Grimm. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is real. As the famous book said, heaven is for real. Now, starting in the Old Testament, I'll give you a couple of instances where heaven is mentioned in the Old Testament that are really good examples. We find Solomon... Uh, in all places, the book of Ecclesiastes was tend to, tends to be a depressing book. But he says, for God is in heaven. So there Solomon, David's son, has a full grasp that there is a place called heaven. And God is there. God is in heaven. We're told in 2 Kings that when Elijah was caught up by the power of God, by, you know, you remember the fiery chariots and all of that. It says that Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah is an example of the rapture of the church. Because I want you to notice, he was there, and then all of a sudden the power of God moved, and he was instantly snatched up into heaven. And I believe that Elijah has been given to us, the story of Elijah and what happened with him as an example of what's going to happen one day with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be going through normal life. 
And if we are alive and still walking around on the earth, suddenly a trumpet is going to blow. That moment will come in God's timetable. And there will be a trumpet blast and a shout. And those of us who are on earth will immediately, like Elijah, be taken up into heaven. Just like that. And the meaning of heaven in those two verses that I quoted is simply the abode of God. It's where God lives. That's what heaven meant to them. That was the the meaning of the Hebrew word there, the, the, uh, the place where God lives. The abode of God. The the place where God's throne exists. And David, we find, clearly had an understanding of the afterlife and of heaven when he said in the Psalms 49.15, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Notice he says, I'm not going to stay in the grave. God is going to redeem me from the power of the grave, and he's going to receive me to himself. So he's saying, When I die, I'm going where God is. The grave is not going to contain me, not going to hold me. I'm not going to be there forever. And then in another place that is particularly strong, you remember when David lost his little boy. David's little boy, uh, an infant, died when he was only a few days old. And David fasted and prayed and asked God to heal him and prayed that he would not die. But when he died, David got up, began to comb his hair, got dressed nice, called for a breakfast, quit fasting. And his, his servant said, what's up with this? You, you were fasting, you were praying, you were mourning, but now when the child dies, you're, uh, you're up and ask, acting like everything is okay? Listen to what David said, it's so powerful. David said, but now he is dead. Why should I continue to fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him. I will go to him when I die, but he will not return to me. And there's David giving an incredible statement of faith. He said, I know something. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And when I go to heaven, my little baby is going to be there. This has everything to do with the age of accountability that I'm going to talk about in this series. One one Sunday, I'm just going to call it, What About the Children? But let me just tell you right now, up front, give you a little teaser for that message, that this little baby died before the age of accountability. And David revealed a great truth. That little baby went immediately into the presence of the Lord. And David said, when I die, I'm going to go and I'm going to be with him. I can't bring him back here because once you're gone, you're gone. But when I die, I'm going to go to him. And it tells me he fully expected to recognize him. I'm I'm going to go to him, and I'm going to be able to hold him. So this death has not been permanent, only a temporary goodbye. Folks, aren't you glad we don't sorrow as those who have no hope? Now, Daniel gives us one of the greatest statements about Old Testament belief and understanding in a place called heaven when he talks not only about heaven and eternal life, but the coming resurrection of the dead. David is talking to God, or Daniel is talking to God, and Daniel says... At that time, your people, God's people, you, everyone who is found written in the book of life will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. That's the resurrection. Though you're sleeping in the dust of the ground and though your body has become dust itself, look what he says. I love this. He says they will awake. They will awake. Everybody say with me, there is a resurrection coming. And if you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. 
See, preaching that is what got Paul in trouble all the time. Because Paul insisted when he preached the gospel, he preached the resurrection from the dead. He says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Two everlastings there, one great, one not so great. One of them, everlasting life. Look at that phrase, everlasting life. Folks, I want you to know that you're an eternal being. And you're either going to go into everlasting life or everlasting contempt. That's what Daniel said. What did the gospel say? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. There's that phrase again. Everlasting contempt. Jesus said, he that believes on me has the life. But he that believes not on me doesn't have the life. But the wrath of God abides on him. See, you're going to one of two places. There is no in-between. There's no fence. There is no netherworld. There is no... There is no, well, I'm going, to take, I'm going to take another option. I'm not going to heaven or to hell. There's not another option. There's only two, everlasting life or everlasting death. Everlasting is a big word. You know what it means in the Greek? Everlasting. And that's a long time. Now, when we come to the New Testament, there's way more information on heaven. I mean, the New Testament pulls the shades, lifts the veil, and allows us in to see so many things about heaven. That it's glorious. It doesn't tell us everything I wish it did, but it tells me enough to whet my appetite for that place called heaven. For starters, the Apostle Paul said that there are actually three heavens. Look at what he says. I know a man in Christ. Now, the man in Christ he's talking about is himself. But because of what he's about to say, he's, he's humbling himself. He doesn't want to point to himself. But he said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Well, if there's a third heaven, there's got to be a second one and there's got to be a first one or there wouldn't be a third one. So what are the first and the second heavens? Well, the first heaven is the earthly atmosphere. It is the, 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 the place we live. The sky, with its clouds, its birds, its life-giving oxygen, it is that area that is, that, is, that is where we live and move and have our being. The first heaven, the earthly atmosphere. Isaiah describes the first heaven for us. He says, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, the clouds, the rain, the snow, come from the clouds, from heaven. He's talking about the first heaven. And they do not return there. The rain and the snow don't return. Once they fall, they fall. But they water the earth, and they make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, but will do what I send it forth to accomplish. But here's the idea. He's identifying the first heaven. It is where the rain comes from, the snow comes from, the clouds exist. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is the vast universe in which we live, filled with billions of stars and galaxies and planets and universes. On and on and on it goes, hundreds of light years into space. That's the second heaven. 
The Bible tells us that God made the second heaven, and it describes his creation of it in Genesis 1. Listen to what it said. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens, second heaven, to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens, second heaven, to give light to the earth. And it was so. Notice, God said it and it was so. Evolution did not give us the stars and the planets and the universes. Evolution did not do that. No, it says God said it and it was so. And people say, well, how do you believe that? Because I believe in God. And if I believe in God, then I have to believe in a creator God because the true concept of, of a God means an all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-at-once being. And he can make things when he says it. It says, he said it, and it was so. Boy, I love that. He said it, and it was so. And then it says, God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day, the sun. The lesser light to rule the night, the moon. He made the stars also, and God set them in the firmament of where, everybody? The heavens, to give light on the earth. That's the second heaven. David the psalmist in Psalms 19 is talking about the second heaven when he said, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day they utter speech, night after night they show forth knowledge. There is no voice nor language where their sound is not heard. The heavens are a testimony, not of evolution, but of the glory of God. They, the heavens declare, they speak, they preach, they teach, they communicate that there is a God, and He made it, and He made you. That's why you ought to go look in the mirror and say, good job, God, because God made you. He likes you. He formed you and fashioned you in the quietness of your mama's womb. He gave you your DNA, your genetic makeup. He, he called what you were going to be, and he called you as a person to glorify him in the earth. But that's why he gave the second heaven. But then there is the third heaven, and that's the one that Paul is talking about when he said, he said, on that day when this happened to me, I was caught up into paradise, and I heard things so astounding that they are beyond a man's power to describe or put in words. That just blows my mind. Paul said, when I got into the third heaven, I heard things and I saw things that I cannot repeat on earth. They're too holy. They're too sacred. I can't cast those pearls before human ears. I saw things, glory, unspeakable bliss, things that are beyond the power of words to convey. He said, God told me, don't ever repeat on earth what I have just shown you. The third heaven is the highest heaven. Paul calls it paradise. And paradise means a beautiful garden. And, and to me, what, what he's hinting at when Paul, because the Holy Ghost makes no mistake with words he chose to go in Scripture. So when the Holy Ghost moved on Paul to say paradise, I believe it was letting us know that heaven is going to be similar to a throwback to the Garden of Eden before the fall of man. A beautiful garden. That's what, that's what paradise means. Paradiso. A beautiful garden. Indescribably beautiful. A garden like we can't imagine. Glory, bliss, beauty. Unbelievable joy unspeakable, can't put it into words. The, rest, the restoration of the garden that was lost. 
In Deuteronomy 10.14, Moses writes about the third heaven. He said, indeed, heaven and the highest heavens, that's the third heaven, the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God and also the earth with all that is in it. It's the third heaven that Jesus referred to when he told us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the third heaven because he went on to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And see, the third heaven is the only heaven where God's will is perfectly done. The second heaven is where spiritual warfare takes place and we know his will is not perfectly done here on earth. But in the third heaven... There is no stain or taint of sin. There's not one microsecond of disobedience. God's will is perfectly done. It's perfect bliss. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. The third heaven is the dwelling place of God. It's paradise and it's going to be our eternal home. Now, I want to look at some of the characteristics of heaven because here's where the the Bible opens up a window. It says, let me tell you a few things about the place called heaven. First of all, it tells us that heaven is indeed a place. Heaven is a place. Can you say that with me? Heaven is a place. Let's try it again. Heaven is a place. See, Jesus promised that those who put their faith in him and allowed him to save them, rescue them from their sin, and eternal damnation, that they would go to a literal place called the Father's house. I love John 14, 1 through 3. I've never presided over a funeral that I have not quoted this because it's a word of comfort. It's a word of hope. It's a word of, that gives us faith. And it says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I'm telling you the truth about this because if this wasn't true, I wouldn't tell you. I go to prepare a what, everybody? Place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, oh, I love that, where I am, there you may be also, where I am, there you may be also. But notice two times in three verses, Jesus called it a literal place. Now that word from the Greek language is topos. We get topography from that Greek word, topos. And you know what topos means? It means an inhabited place as a city or a village or a town, a real geographical, geographically located place. I go to prepare a real place for you. Listen to what the psalmist wrote in Psalms 33. It says, from the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. See, God is in a place. Heaven is a place. It's a real place. And you know what I like that Paul wrote? Paul said, let me tell you about you that have been redeemed. It says, he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly, whatever one, places in Jesus Christ. I love the way God thinks because when God looks at you and me, he says, yeah, you're in a place. You're in Turning Point Church. You're sitting in a chair. You're in Fort Worth, Texas. But as far as I'm concerned, it's all done. It's all wrapped up. And you are actually in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. I have put you there. You are in a place. And that place 
is heavenly. Aren't you glad you're there? You're there already. Evangelist John Rice wrote of heaven, I tell you, heaven is a real, literal, physical place. A city as material, as physical, as literal as Chicago, London, New York, or Tokyo. It's a place. It's real. You're not going to be floating around on some cloud with wings, playing a harp, bored to tears. That used to make me fear heaven. I thought, man, sitting on a cloud playing a harp, I'm, I'm, I'm bored in 10 minutes. But that is not heaven. No, that is not heaven at all. Heaven is a real place. You're going to walk around. You're going to experience it. You're going to live there forever and forever and forever in the presence of the living God. It's a place. That's why Jesus said, I'm going to prepare for you a place. Billy Graham wrote, heaven is a literal place. It's not an imaginary world or a fantasy land. It's a real place. So I want you to say with me, heaven is a place. And if I know Jesus, I'm going there. Now, the second thing the Bible tells us about heaven is interesting to me because it tells us heaven is up. Heaven is up. Now, if I'm going somewhere for eternity, I want to at least know the general direction. And it tells me heaven is up. See, when I tell you it's a place, if you're like me, you're, you're immediately thinking, well, if it's a real place, then where is it? If it's like Chicago or Tokyo or New York, then where is it? And the Bible lets us know a few things about it. First of all, undeniably, heaven is up. We're told in Mark, I'll give you some examples. In Mark, Jesus took the boys' loaves and fish with that great crowd in front of him. And it says, he, he, he looked up to heaven, blessed the loaves, broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples. Never in the Bible do you read somebody look down to heaven. No, it's always up, because heaven is up. In John 17, 1, when Jesus began his high priestly prayer, praying for you and me that we would be sanctified and kept by God and all those good things, the Bible says that he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Heaven is up. When Jesus was finished with his earthly ministry, he led his disciples to the Mount of Olives. I love this. And the Bible says he called his, his disciples together, gave them some last-minute instructions. And then it says he lifted his hands and he blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And it says the clouds received him out of their sight. See, when the rapture happens, you're not going down. You're going up because heaven is up. David Jeremiah, in his great book on heaven, he wrote, the Bible doesn't give us the exact coordinates of latitude and longitude, and I'm not sure we can locate it with a telescope. That's because there are some realms that are visible and others that are invisible to the human eye. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. There are all kinds of things we can't see that we know are there. We can't see atoms. We know they are there. I've never seen the wind, but I have seen what the wind does. There are all kinds of things we can't see. We can't even see Jesus. None of us in here have seen Jesus, yet it says, having not seen him, yet you love him. We have walked by faith and not by sight. I fell in love with a Savior I've never seen, but that didn't stop me falling in love with him and believing in him and walking with him and praying to him. 
and an even better clue might be found in Isaiah, where Isaiah is literally addressing the devil. And he is telling us what was on the devil's mind when the devil rebelled against God. We know that the devil one day when he was Lucifer, he was in heaven. He knew heaven, knew all about it, and he's no longer there. But it says, he said to himself, five I wills, I will ascend, I will overthrow God. And he went through all these various things he was going to do. But when he said, look, look what Isaiah writes about him. You have said in your heart, Lucifer, I will ascend. That means Satan knew that heaven was up. I will ascend upward into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. Pay close attention to these next words. Of the farthest sides of the north. Now that's telling us something about the location of heaven. Because Lucifer said it's not only up, but it's on the farthest sides of the north. It's a place. It's in a location. And whether you're in Texas or you're in Tokyo, north is always up. Now let me share something interesting with you. I don't know if there's anything to it. But, but get this. Astronomers in Hawaii have found a huge hole in the northern part of the universe that dwarfs anything else of its kind. The science editor reporting the story that I read calls this hole the super void. Now, the reason it's called a void is because it's void of what fills the rest of the universe. It's void of stars and planets and meteorites. It's this huge northern void. It's strangely vacant of stars and galaxies, and scientists are completely baffled by it. They don't know what to make of it. Now, I'm just going to throw something out. You can chew the meat and spit out the bones. I'm not saying it's true. But in the uttermost north, way out there, suddenly there is this huge void. Could it be heaven? I don't know. But no doubt about it. Listen, folks. Somewhere out there, in the uttermost north, is a celestial city. A very real place called the third heaven. Amen. Now, what I want to tell you about heaven next, it gets better. I love this. Who's going to be there? Because the Bible says it's populated. Well, who's going to be there? Well, the first good news is Jesus will be there. Jesus is in the third heaven. Aren't you looking forward to meeting the Savior who died for you and rose from the dead? The one that has provided all your needs, that has carried you and kept you and called you by his amazing grace and forgiven you a million times for this, that, and the other and, and has been so patient as you have grown in him. Aren't you thankful for the Savior who stretched out his arms and his legs and they nailed him to a tree for you and for me? Aren't you thankful? Aren't you looking forward to seeing Jesus eyeball to eyeball, face to face one day? Come on, everybody. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. 
What a beautiful day that's going to be. The Bible says that when we see him, John said, when we see him, we shall suddenly be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are going to see Jesus as he is. I personally believe the first thousand years or so in heaven, we're only going to be casting our crowns at his feet. We're going to be thanking him, worshiping him, loving him, holding him, rejoicing in him, not floating around on a cloud. We're going to be loving on Jesus who died for us because we will see him as he is. The second thing about heaven, who's going to populate heaven? Our loved ones who have died in Christ are all in heaven. I told the first and second service, since Kathy went home over a year ago, I have sorrowed, but I have not sorrowed as those who have no hope. I can't imagine going through this without the promises of God. But see, I know when I go to her grave and I visit the grave, um, I, I've told you that all the gravestones in Greenwood uh, are facing east. And they did it on purpose. They did it scripturally. They did it because of what the Bible says, that Christ will appear in the east, in the eastern sky. And so there's going to come a day, and I know this with all of my heart, when the trumpet blows and the dead in Christ rise, that Kathy is going to come out of that grave. And every loved one that we've said goodbye to is coming out of their graves. And we're going to go meet the Lord in the air. And, and, and their spirits are already in heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord. My mother, who is 93 years old, just turned 93, and, and I was talking to her recently, and, you know, she was saved when I was preaching one night. She made fun of my faith for the longest time, and I was preaching one night, gave the invitation. A bunch of people came down and lined up to give their hearts to Christ, and I looked down, and there was my mother. I was so shocked, I forgot my mic was hot, and I said, Mother, what are you doing here? Everybody jumped. She was down there with tears running down her face, seriously, and she said, I want to get saved, Jeffrey. And that day, that night, she became a child of God. Now she's one of my greatest prayer warriors. She calls me, and she'll say, I'm praying for you, Jeffrey. I'm holding you up. Is there anything I can pray with you about? She drives herself to church every Sunday. She plays bridge all week and slaughters people at bridge. She's a huge Rangers fan, Cowboys fan, Mavericks fan. She could be a sports commentator. But here's what she said to me. She said, the only problem with getting this old is most of my friends are in heaven. She said, I'm looking forward to the day I see them all again. That's what saints know. The Bible says when Jesus returns, we're going to be caught up together to meet him in the air. And we're going to encounter those who went before us. We're going to recognize one another in heaven. It says, then we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up with them. Who's the them? It's those who have died in Christ before us. With them. And we will meet the Lord in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're going to recognize one another. David said, I'm going to recognize my baby. You're going to recognize your loved ones. And there's not going to be any more stuff between you. See, some of you are thinking, wow, well, if he's building me a house, I hope so-and-so is on the other side of the city. <laughs> Listen, when you get to heaven, it won't matter because you're going to be like him. And he is perfect, undiluted, industrial strength, love. You, you will be like him. It won't matter who's next door to you. But he's gone to prepare a place for you. And we're going to recognize Old Testament saints in heaven. 
When Jesus took his disciples to the mountain of transfiguration, the Bible says, suddenly on one side Moses appeared with him. On the other side, Elijah. Moses representing the law, Elijah the prophets. And it says, Peter, James, and John, who he took up there with him, recognized them. He knew who Moses was and he knew who, they knew who Elijah was. How did they know that? Because in glory there is supernatural recognition of one another. And our eternal home is in heaven. Our eternal home. Won't be any roof leaks. Won't be any cockroaches or ant problems. Won't be any decay. You won't have to get it repainted. No, the house in heaven that Jesus is making is free of decay. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Henry Bennett wrote, I have a home above from sin and sorrow free, a mansion which eternal love designed and formed for me. I go to prepare, Jesus said, a real place in a real heaven for you. The word prepare literally means get things ready. I'm going to get things ready. When he went back into glory, he was going to get things ready. That's why Paul wrote, No man has ever seen, heard, or imagined in his heart what God has prepared for those who love him. He's gone to make things ready. And then last, we have a reservation there. Some of you might be leaving today and you've got a reservation in a restaurant. Isn't it fun when you go to a restaurant, it's totally packed, and there's a line going way out, and yet you've got a reservation. You're able to blow past all those people, walk right up to that woman and say, I've got a reservation. And she says, what's your name? Jeff. Oh, Jeff, yes, I see. You've got a reservation. Come right. Don't you love walking past all the people? Who, who didn't have enough wisdom to get a reservation. But listen, all that they had to do was wait a little while to get a seat. But let me tell you about the most important reservation as I close. The most important reservation you can have is in God's book. Now listen, Peter wrote, God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. It is kept in heaven for you pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. There is a book of reservations the Bible calls the book of life. And you've got to have a reservation in that book. You say, well, where do I get the reservation? You don't get it from not getting traffic tickets. You don't get it from being Mr. or Mrs. Wonderful. You don't get it from being a good American citizen or a good mom and dad. That is not where you get the reservation. There's only one place to get the reservation, and it's at the foot of the cross, the old rugged cross, where Jesus stretched out his arms and stretched out his legs, and they nailed him to that tree, and his crimson blood flowed, that blood that was free of any stain or any taint of sin. He was the perfect sacrifice lamb of God. And when that blood shed and it spilled down that tree, when you and I go to that cross and say, God, forgive me, right then you get a reservation. You get a reservation. The greatest day of my life was when I was sitting in juvenile home and I heard the gospel and I responded to the gospel and I prayed with that man. And that night, I didn't see it, I didn't know it, but there was a hand in heaven. When I said, Jesus, forgive me, and a book was opened, and that hand grabbed an eternal pen and wrote, Jeff Wickwire, in the Lamb's Book of Life, and I got a reservation.
Heaven is only for those with a reservation. If your name is in it, you're going. If your name is in that book, and there's no more important book in all the world, I close with this. Jesus said, Rejoice not that the demons are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Can we stand together today? Can you say with me, heaven is a place. Heaven is up. And heaven is populated with the people that matter to me. Can we lift our hands to the Lord Jesus? Can we just thank him for heaven? Lord, how we are moved and touched beyond words that you came to rescue us. You came to redeem us and carry us to that place called heaven. That where you are, we may also be. And Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. We were so lost, Lord. But now we're so found. Blind, but now see. Thank you for heaven. Now, with your heads bowed, if you can say, you know, Jeff, I've always had a question. When I'm alone with my thoughts, I have no distractions. My head hits the pillow at night. Sometimes I wonder if I'm really saved, if I've really given my heart to him, if he's really come into my life, or if I just had a little dose of religion, but I don't really have a relationship. I'm not here to point a finger at you, judge you, condemn you. I came to Christ, as I said, in jail as a 16-year-old. But I am here to tell you, you can look up today and pray to the God in heaven, and he will forgive you and come into your heart and give you that reservation. Your name will be penned into the book of life. So with your heads bowed, if you would like to pray that prayer, I want you to pray it with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, you can do it. Just pray, Lord Jesus. You can do it right here now. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Jesus, I repent. Forgive me my sin come into my heart as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name.